Listen to this prayer that Jesus prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may, be, may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he may give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I've brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed to you or have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those you've given me for they are yours. I have, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will no longer, I remain in the world no longer. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. No one has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. For they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me 
may be in them and I myself will be in them. Father, what a prayer. God, help us to pray. In Jesus' name. The prayer of Jesus. Man, what did you think about that prayer? Sometimes we just need to like stop all the noise and just listen to Jesus for a minute. Can I get an amen to that? And I think as we start a series on prayer, I can't think of a better way than just to listen to Jesus pray. When people heard Jesus pray, they, they naturally asked questions like, Jesus, teach us how to pray like that, right? Like, Jesus, Mike, there's such authority in your prayers. There's such intimacy in your prayers. Uh, I was thinking about this prayer series, especially in light of last week. Last week, uh, man, it was such a great service. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, church, you responded so well to the vision that we cast, to the call to really regularly serve and regularly give through the church. And I was so just... I was so proud of you just stepping into that. But, it, but that message about the middle and moving through the middle and kind of being in the middle, it hit a lot of people just in a, in a special way. I almost felt like the Holy Spirit had us in a dentist chair and, and he's poking on different teeth and it hit some nerves and there was a lot of like, ouch, I'm right there. I'm right in the middle. And I was thinking about that last week as preparing for this. And I was like, you know, I'm so glad we're going into this series on prayer after this topic about being in the middle, because I want to remind the church that God is in the middle with you. You are not in the middle alone. And that sometimes we need to be reminded. That's why we gather and, and come to church, because sometimes the world, the noise, the trouble, the difficulty, everything that we face, we need to be reminded of what actually is true. You're not alone in the middle. God's with you in the middle. We need to draw near to God in the middle because there's power available for the middle. Can I get an amen this morning? We need to hear that today. And I felt like on the other side of that sermon yesterday or last week that we really need to think about really diving into this relationship with prayer as we think about the difficulty we face as we're going through the middle. So I want you to think about that prayer we just read. I want you to try to describe it. I'm not asking you for a perfect recall of it because it was a long prayer. It's the longest prayer that's recorded that Jesus prayed. We know he prayed all the time. In fact, um, Jesus and his prayers uh, were always commented on. There'd be times where the text would tell us that he would just spend all night in prayer. Um, he just kind of breathed prayer. Jesus was always praying. But that was a, a long just re record of a prayer of Jesus. And I want to ask you to just describe it. I want you to think about it. How would you describe the relationship that that prayer reveals. I mean, when you think about that prayer, it's Jesus talking about this glory that he once shared with the Father and this love. I mean, how many times does the word love show up in that prayer? The love that you have for me, that I have for you, that I have for them. It's this, it's this trinity of love, the Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Father, the, the Son's love for the, for the, for the disciples, and, and this beautiful community, this warm relationship. And you just see that. You just see Jesus praying. And you might sit there and say, well, Brad, it's easy for Jesus to pray, okay? He, he's the son of God, right? He's got this unique relationship with God. 
right? And so I, I can't pray like Jesus, you know? I can't expect to have that kind of just curl up in the Father's lap and pray, right, maybe? Uh, I don't have that, you know, uh, that ability to just do that, right? Some of us can feel that way. Some of us can think that uh, we're just not good at praying, you know? Other people are good at it. I'm not good at it, you know? And if, if, if somebody asked you to pray, you might get really nervous, like, no, no, I, I don't do that. I don't pray out loud in front of other people, right? Um, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of anxiety around praying sometimes. And there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of even habits that we kind of fall into. How many of us have the, the pre-dinner um, prayer thing? And it sounds about the same every single time we do it, right? <laughs> might have got into that, you know, bless this food to our bodies. So we're eating like Twinkies or something like, really? <laughs> God's going to magically bless Twinkies to your body, right? But like, that's the thing we say before we eat, right? You know, we got these kind of ritualistic, formulaic kind of prayers, you know? Then you got, you know, just some of the other things that kind of happen um, in our life. And we want to talk about that today. Just things that make it hard for us to really pray. Guys, I want to I just give you a really quick definition of prayer. Prayer is simply the act of turning ourselves toward God and receiving his loving attention. That's what prayer is. Prayer is the act of turning myself toward God and receiving his loving attention. Because here's what we know. If you're a believer, if you follow Jesus, here's what you know. Jesus paid the way for access so that you could be right into the throne of heaven. Jesus paid for that. Jesus made it possible for us to have access like that. So when I turn to God in prayer, I'm receiving his loving attention. And this is a relationship that goes in two directions, right? I'm receiving his loving attention and he's receiving my attention. That's prayer. I want to unpack that in this series. But I want to kind of talk about some of these, these barriers that exist to prayer, to real prayer. I think sometimes we listen to a child pray, and we might even be envious at times. They just pray without effort. They just pray so innocently. They pray without all the trauma and the baggage and the, the scars that life throws at us, all the things that keep us from really just sharing, Right? There's just something about a child's prayer. Maybe that's why Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom, you got to come, become like a child. So I want, to I want to think about this and go back to Jesus's prayer. And I want to make a comment. If I were to describe Jesus's prayer, I would describe it this way. It sounds like the conversation between two people who've loved each other a long time. Have you ever been around two people that have loved each other a long time and just listened to how they talk? I mean, I'm talking about a happily married couple, right? <laughs> They've loved each other a long time. There's tenderness. There's so much intimacy. There's decades of just community, of love. And like I said earlier, you might feel like, well, okay, Brad, but that's Jesus. Ah, actually, I don't think that's exclusive to Jesus. I think if you look at the prayers of David, of Nehemiah, of Jeremiah, of Hannah, of Mary, 
I think there's prayers that have a similarity to all of them. There's intimacy, there's familiarity, there's love, there's, there's not formality, right? There's not these, there's not these you know, grandos vocabulary words that don't even sound like normal English, that sound more like King James English, you know? Like, there, there's not, those things are absent. And, and let me read you one more prayer. This is in Psalm 17. This is David praying. Listen to David's prayer. And I just picked one. There's a bunch. You can look at them for yourself. But here's, here's David's prayer. Listen. Psalm 17, a prayer of David. Hear me, Lord. My plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from you. My, may your eyes see what is right. Though you probe my heart, Though you examine me at night and test me, you will find I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. Though people have tried to bribe me, I have kept myself from the ways of the violent. Through what your lips have commanded, my steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. I call on you, my God. For you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love who saved me by your right hand. Those who take refuge in you from their foes. I love this. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. From the wicked who are out to destroy me. From my mortal enemies who surround me. And it goes on. It's a prayer. It's an intimate prayer. It's a familiar prayer. It's David just pouring out his heart. It's David being real with God. It's this real, authentic relationship. In fact, when Jesus specifically taught on prayer, he addresses what, uh, this kind of habit that humans develop in, in their prayer life. And he, he really confronts it directly. There's very few times Jesus is really, really clear. Don't do this. Jesus teaches a lot of parables and we draw applications from those. But there's, this is an example where Jesus comes right out and says, don't do this. Like he's very clear about it in Matthew chapter six. Look what he says. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they're ever gonna get. In the Jewish culture, there were these calls to prayer, much like in the Muslim culture today. And Jews would know that the time was close of the call to prayer. And wherever they were, when the call to prayer came, they would stop and pray. What Jesus pointed out is he said, there are some folks that wanted to make sure they were in a very public location when that call to prayer came so that they could pray very loudly and draw that attention. And they would be praying in such pious language, such high vocabulary, that it was obvious the only person they were talking to was themselves. And anyone else who would want to give them like an accolade, like, nice prayer, buddy. You know, good job. You know. That it surely wasn't God they were praying to, right? And he says this in verse six. He says, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees you, who sees everything will reward you. Now, it's important to know that many of the homes in this era, you know, in this place, in this you know, in Palestine, they didn't have these private rooms. 
So Jesus isn't really saying you can never pray in public, but he's saying, I want you to pray as if you were in private. In other words, I want you to have the mentality that when you pray, you're praying just to the Lord. You're praying just to God. You're praying in private. You're not praying for people to kind of give you some kind of religious accolade, some kind of attaboy, like really good prayer, man. You're a good prayer. You know, instead it's, no, I am really communicating with the Father. And if I could, I would do it all alone. I am not trying to pray to get some kind of credibility with other people. He goes on and he talks about how the, how the Gentiles pray. He says, when you pray, don't babble on like the Gentiles do. They think that their prayers are answered merely, here it is, by repeating their words again and again and again. See, don't be like them. For, their, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask. Don't try to tr twist God's arm and manipulate him by your repetitive prayers. Don't try to make this some kind of like religious game. If I get the formula just right, you know, if I just say the words just correctly, God will have to do what I'm saying. Like, that's not the point of prayer. Jesus is saying, guys, this is the way people get it wrong. You get it wrong through either religious ritual or you get it wrong through religious hypocrisy. Like, that is not what prayer is about. And when you listen to Jesus' prayer, pray, you just knew. He'd be, he just, like I said earlier, he just breathed prayer. Prayer was just breathing for Jesus. And when you listen to it, you are being invited into a conversation that, it, that, that just continually goes on with him and the Father. And when David pours out his prayer, he's just pouring it out. He's just sharing what's on his heart. I want to say this. Not all talking to God is actually prayer. We can talk to God and not be praying. We can be having a religious moment, going through a traditional prayer, kind of doing some kind of ritual or kind of whatever, but that might not be actually talking, that might actually not be praying to God because what only qualifies actually praying to God is when you get raw before God, when you stop all the ritual and you start getting into the relationship and you say, God, I'm here to meet you. I'm here to pour out my heart to you. God, I don't care if anyone's listening. I don't care if the, no one ever knows this happens. I am praying because I'm not trying to get some kind of credibility. I'm trying to get into the, into the holy of holies with the king of kings because I need to let you know what's going on in my life. So let me ask you, why is praying like that so hard? Why is this raw, real, authentic prayer, that kind of prayer, why is it so hard? Why is it so easy just to get caught up in ritual or routine? Why is it so easy just to talk to God but not pray? I think part of this goes all the way back to the, the first relationship in Scripture between humans and God. In this first relationship, it's Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden. And you guys know the story. Many of you do. And if you don't, you need to study it. We'll look at it together. But I want to look at specifically what happens when God finds out Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit that they were told not to eat from, look what happens. It says at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame. This is really important. I think this explains a whole lot about our relationship with God. At their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. It goes on, it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard that the Lord God walking about the garden. 
And so they hid. What scholars say is this idea of the the evening breezes blowing and God kind of walking in the garden indicates that this was kind of a regular pattern with Yahweh, that God would regularly kind of meet humans in the garden of Eden. Eden is actually kind of this temple spot where heaven and earth meet. God's meeting with his, with his image bearers. And he's kind of probably wanting to know uh, like, how'd the day go guys? Like how was, how was your reflecting my glory throughout the earth going? How's that going, right? So he's meeting with Adam and Eve and this is a regular pattern, but this particular afternoon, they don't show up for their appointment. Instead, they're hiding in the trees feeling shame. So powerful, this concept right here. Instead of being naked before God, instead of being just totally themselves without any fear, they're hiding in the trees and they're covering themselves with leaves. The text goes on in the next verse and it says this, the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? Guys, I want to just say this as a little kind of a side note. Aren't you glad God comes calling for us when we're hiding? How many of us glad, are glad we have a God who comes looking for us when we're lost? Come on, I want to preach that right now. How many of us have been lost and have known that God's been pursuing us even in our lost state? We could be hiding in the trees, ashamed of what we've done, and God is still pursuing us because he is good even when we're not. Can I get an amen to that? This is about God, not us. This is about his pursuit of us and his love for us, guys. So he comes calling. And then he says, I heard you were walking, this is the man, in the garden, and so I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you were naked? We were meant, church, to have naked prayer. We were meant to be naked before God without any shame. We were meant meant to be completely ourselves in his presence and comfortable with him. We were meant to just enjoy this beautiful connection without any kind of fear, without any kind of, oh no, dad's home kind of feeling, right? No, we were actually supposed to never fear dad coming home because we were supposed to have this intimacy that the Trinity experienced for eternity. The relationship between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit was a relationship of unbroken fellowship, of complete freedom, of complete vulnerability because there's no hiding in this perfect love. And we were created out of that relationship to enjoy that same one. And sin comes. And here we go, hiding. That's why not all talking to God is prayer. We only start actually praying when we start getting real before God. So here's the point. Stop talking and start praying, church. Stop talking and start praying. Stop giving God some formula. Stop giving God some prayer list. Stop, stop, stop saying, Lord, bless the Twinkies before I eat. You know, all that stuff. Like, let's stop that and let's start actually praying before God. Here's the point, guys. Talking becomes praying with the moment I stop hiding. Some of us this morning need to stop hiding before God. Some of us know we're in the, we're in the leaves. We know it. Man, no, we don't need anyone to tell us. We know exactly where we are. And God didn't need any information about their geographic location. God isn't asking, hey, where are you? I can't find you on my Live 360 app. You know, like, where are you at right now? That's not the point. God, is, God knows exactly where Adam is and Eve are. He asked the question, where are you? Because he wants to point out the tension in the relationship. Relationally, they're not there. The state of their heart is distant from God. They're in a state of fear and shame. 
But there's reasons we hide. There's reasons we, we run. Because guys, we don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. We live on the outside of Eden. We live in a world full of pain. We live in a world full of disappointment. Sometimes it's the pain that we cause. Sometimes it's the pain other people bring into our life. Sometimes it's the pain of just the general broken state of the world, disease and death. And so we hide because life's painful. We hide because we've experienced disappointment. We hide because we don't know where God is sometimes. And we're hurting. And sometimes it's just easier, if I'm being honest, to go to another source for comfort. I have my own escape behaviors I do when I'm really in a bad way. I want to show you what David did when he was in a bad way. I want to show you what it means to, to take God and bring him into the middle of your trouble. Like we talked about last week. Look what David says. This is in Psalms 142. He says, I cry out to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. Look at this. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell him my trouble. I love this. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, not alcohol. You are my portion, not drugs, not pornography, not any of the other things that we kind of run to in the middle of our, of our trouble when we really have had a bad day, when we're really stressed to the max. Like when I'm really going through it, David makes a decision in the middle of his distress to go to the Lord in the day of trouble. He says this, he says, listen to my cry for I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me for they are too strong for me. Naked prayer. David isn't hiding. He's not flowering it up. This, he's not saying, well, Lord, um, you know, you know kind of like what we do when we have like a conversation with another human and I'm like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Liar. You're not fine. You, had, you just had the worst week of your life. Fine, I'm fine. no. God knows you're not fine. Guys, listen, let me just tell you, God knows you're not okay. So stop lying and start praying. God knows you're having a bad week. He knows you lost your job. He knows you just got a diagnosis. He knows that something happened to you didn't expect and you're just in a tailspin. He knows all that you're going through. Even before you ask, he already knows. So stop lying, start praying, just pour it out. Just pour it out. How many of you guys remember one of these? Let me find something back here. It's back here somewhere. Did somebody steal my... Maybe it's over here. Well, it's gone. My mom was going to kill me, actually, because... That belonged, oh, here it is. Thank you. This is not mine, this is my mom's. Anybody remember what this is? When I was little, we had an old school one of these. My mom said you could take the nastiest piece of meat, the cheapest, it was almost free, they'd give it to you. If you put it in here for an hour, it would be like a filet. Because this pressure cooker would, would tenderize that meat. When I was growing up, they had this little thing on the top. You guys remember that? It would just like, and it would make that noise, right? And I knew if I came home from school and that noise was, we were, we were going to have some good dinner, right? Like it was going to be good. She's going to pour some gravy over it. Probably not healthy, but it was tasty, right? You with me on that? 
And that pressure cooker would just, the, as the heat on the bottom of this pot would grow, there, that little, psh, the little sound of that steam would shoot off. Guys, I want to say this to you. I think naked prayer releases the stress from life's pressure cooker. I think when we're in the middle of it, when the heat's turned up, guys, the reason why so many of us explode is because we're not going to prayer to, to let, let off the pressure. The, the, minute, the reason why so many of us go to the wrong places and find those empty wells that do not quench, that do not help, that really don't make things worse, that actually make life worse, right? They don't make things better. They make life worse. When we, when we add alcohol to our pre-existing problems, like it's just making things worse. It's because we aren't going to the healthy relief valve that God has provided into every one of us, this portion of prayer that God says, just pour it out onto my big shoulders. I can hold it, Brad. Cast your cares on me, for I care, what? For you. When's the last time you got naked before God? When's the last time you just said, God, okay, all right, it ain't gonna be pretty. I'm, what I'm gonna share is not gonna be, it's not gonna be the most pious thing you heard. It's not gonna be the most flowery. I probably wouldn't say this in church. I might even use some colorful language right now, but I'm just gonna tell you, God, I am frustrated God, this isn't fair. This is unjust. Have you read the Psalms and read that? That's okay, friends. It's okay to get raw with God. It's okay to say, God, I don't get this. In fact, I would say this, it's healthy. Because real relationships are built on transparency. And if you really are frustrated with God, tell him. If you really don't get it, tell him. If you really don't understand why after when I tried to do the right thing, I started doing everything I was supposed to do. I still get hit by the Mack truck. I do not understand this God. Let him know. Quit going to him and saying, yeah, I'm fine. Shut up. You're not fine. You guys with me on this today? Come on. Naked prayer. Stop talking. Start praying. Man, let me go one more step down. Because there are some things that happen that rock you all the way to your core. There are, the, there are the disappointments in life. There are the surprise, I just got fired moments in life. There are the, whoa, I didn't expect her to break up with me moments in life or whatever. But then there are the, you've got cancer. The person that you counted on betrayed you. The prayer that you thought God answered got taken away from you at the last minute. I'll never forget when that happened to me and Michelle. We had prayed so long for a baby. And I thought God answered our prayer. And then we had the miscarriage. Those are the moments where you're just like, is there God even listening? Like, is prayer even, is it a form of self-delusion? Do we just pray to make ourselves feel better, but there's really no one listening on the other end? Look what David says in Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day and you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. That's a raw prayer if I've ever heard one. That's a, that's a guy who's like, I do not know where you are. 
I thought you would not leave me. And it seems like you did. But I want to show you, he's still praying though. He's still there. He's bringing all of his doubt and all of his confusion to a God that he doesn't know is even listening. You know, as a pastor, part of my job is to walk with people through some of the hardest moments in their life. It's, it's, it's walking through funerals. It's planning funerals. It's breaking terrible news. It's being in hospitals. It's visiting people in their last moments. It's holding spouses from at the, at the gravesite or at the hospital where their spouse is passing away. It's all of those terrible things that pastors have to do that we want to do, but it's not the part of the job that you're excited about. It's, uh, this is hard. And first responders, they have to be at every 911 call. And first responders, what they do is when they get to a tragedy, they're there and they're helping with the immediate trauma. They're helping people stop the bleeding. They're literally helping people or they're the first people on site when something awful has happened. And then those folks, many times, they'll go to counselors or therapists to help them process the trauma. But people will go to a pastor sometimes for helping with that, but more often for this question. Pastor, why that happened? I don't really ask my therapist why that happens because my therapist isn't a spiritual leader a lot of times. My therapist is just helping me through it. Pastors have to answer the why question. Why did God let this happen? Why did this person die too young? Why did my dreams get destroyed? Why did all this happen? And those answers are not easy. They're elusive. Sometimes there's no good answer to those questions. Sometimes as a pastor, I don't know what to say. I don't have answers. I'm not going to give platitudes. I'm not going to just say, well, everything will work out in the end. I'm not doing that. Right? I don't think that's what Jesus did. The question, why doesn't God stop it, is a hard one. And we don't know, but I'm going to tell you something. Here's the thing. God gives us some answers. Here's the first one. This is important. What you're experiencing in this life is not what God intended for any of his children to experience. This is not the way God designed it or wanted it. This is the result of what happens when we walk away from God. Man, I'm telling you, the domino was flicked and everything is being just, the chaos is being ramped in our world. And so God is on a mission to restore and redeem that which is broken, but this is the cleanup job. We are in the middle of the broken world. And so we need to be reminded of the truth. This isn't the way God wanted it, number one. Number two, and God is not passively sitting by watching it. Because sometimes we don't have a why, but we have a who. And sometimes in the middle of our pain, we need to be reminded, hey guys, we serve a God who left heaven where it was just fine, where things were going just fine and decided out of his love for you and me to enter this broken world and to feel and drink the full drink of our pain and our heartbreak in himself. Jesus entered our pain. And God doesn't always tell us why these things happen, but he gives us something even better. He gives us himself. I want to show you what Jesus says in John chapter 14. I, could just, I just want you to let God say this to you this morning. Some of you need to hear this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. 
little while later, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I want you to think about Jesus for a second. Think about how tender Jesus was. Think about how loving Jesus was. Think about how there's no way Jesus would ever intend any harm for any person. That prayer we read earlier today in the beginning of the sermon, think about what Jesus says in that prayer, how he just cannot wait for his children to be with him forever. How there's this unity of love. Think about how Jesus is talking about how he is just anticipating this glorious day ahead. Think about when Jesus is at the gravesite of Lazarus, And the two sisters, Mary and Martha, are weeping. Think about what Jesus does in that moment. God in human form is at this gravesite. And what does he do? He looks right at Martha and he says to Martha, Martha, listen, I want to tell you something. I am the resurrection and the life. I know this looks really bad right now and you are broken. And you just said, if you were here, Jesus, you would have been able to stop this. Basically, why weren't you here? And the question that humans have asked God for ages is right here. Why weren't you here? And Jesus' response to Martha isn't to explain what delayed him. His response to Martha is, listen, Martha, I want to tell you something. I am the resurrection and the life. Look at me, Martha. Even if he, you die, you're going to live. I'm going to fix this whole thing. But I'm looking right at you, Martha. I'm going to ask you a really important question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? That afternoon, her brother came walking out of that grave. The Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, defeated the grave once and for all on Easter. And we look forward to this day when every knee is going to bow, but also every tear will be wiped. Come on, church. We will get through this pain. God has not abandoned us to a life of misery. He's given us hope. And the question is, do you believe this? Are you holding on to this in the middle of your pain? And so in John 16, he says, Go back one more. I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. Not in the bottom of a bottle, not in some kind of, you know, Netflix binge or video game binge or some other escape. It's the peace is not there. The peace is in me, in me. And then he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus is not sugarcoating this, but be of good cheer. Come on, I've overcome this world. And one day, it's not going to be like this. I love, love, love this quote by Tyler Stanton. I think it's immensely helpful, church. He says, Jesus hasn't revealed a God we perfectly understand. But he has revealed a God we can perfectly trust. Guys, I don't always understand. I don't. I don't always have good answers for why. I don't. But here's what I do have. I have a God I can trust. Guys, talking turns to praying the minute we stop hiding. I want us to stop hiding and start praying. Guys, we always talk about what's the win on a Sunday. How do I know if Sunday goes well? Sunday goes well. Not if you guys all get cheery and happy. Now, here's how I know Sunday goes well. If Monday your life changes. Guys, I'm praying we leave here ready to just beat on the door of heaven. 
We are tired of talking to God and we are gonna start praying to God. I'm praying that you guys go in your truck or car or whatever and you're going on a drive across town. You roll up the windows, you put the earphones in so it looks like you're talking on the phone or something and you just start praying like you've never stopped, started praying in your life. I'm praying that people will start wondering, man, there's something about you. I can just sense it. You just have this depth to your relationship that you are just, the way that you re relate to your family, the way you relate here at church, the way you respond to God in all these ways, there's, there's this difference that happens because in your prayer closet, when you're all alone, you are pouring out your heart to God. You're getting a brother or sister and you're pouring out your heart to God. No more platitudes, no more formal language. A heart that says, God, I don't understand. Or maybe you're at a different place. God, I'm on the top of the mountain. God, I just praise you. God, I just worship you. And maybe you're even gonna get to the place, even in the valley, you're like, God, I worship you. God, I praise you because I am a person who's convinced I can trust you in the ups and in the downs. What would happen, church, if everyone in this room started praying like that? I want us all to stand right now and we want to give us a chance to respond to this and to really pray. I'm going to invite our prayer team forward, but I want to just say something to all of you. If you don't mind just kind of um, bowing your heads for a second and just having a moment with you and God, because I want to talk to all of us in the room. And there could be some here this morning that when we talked about the garden and hiding in the trees, the Holy Spirit might have just pricked you just a little bit in your heart, maybe a, a tug in your spirit. Maybe when I talked about hiding from God in the trees, the Holy Spirit whispered, that's where you're at right now. You're hiding. And you know exactly that's what you're at. There's, there's something in your life that you're ashamed of. There's something maybe that you've done or, or maybe you're continuing to do and it, keep, it keeps you in this place of shame. And if you're being real honest, you haven't really prayed in a long time because you can't pray when you're hiding behind trees. And so I want to invite you in this moment to come out from those trees. I want to invite you in this moment to meet a loving God who just wants a relationship with you. And maybe you had one at one time, but that relationship is really not in a good place and it needs to be restored. There needs to be some repentance. There needs to be a moment where you just say, God, I just need to turn my life around because I've been kind of chasing all the wrong things. I've been hiding from you. And if I'm honest, Lord, a lot of it's my own choices. And so God, I right now, I want to come from behind those trees and I want to come right into your presence, Lord. 